0: I'm really pleased to be here. What I want to tell you about over the next 20 minutes is a story about the EDD programme at Staffordshire University. So I'm certainly not making any assumptions that what I talk about today is something that any of you will necessarily be experiencing. But I'm hoping um, some of the issues that I raise will make you think reflectively uh, critically about what might be going on in your own prof doc programmes or doctoral programmes. and um, so we'll see. Um when I when I came up with the title for this presentation um a colleague of mine said feeling part of a community and it's about Ed D, isn't that automatic? And and I thought <coughs> I can see that point because um You know, you've got an image up there of one of our EDD Saturdays. So the thing about studying an EDD is that you can't avoid other people or other EDD students. Um, You are physically coming into contact with people. So in that sense, I guess my colleague was right, that community at that level um, is automatic. However, I think there might be a question of different sorts or different levels of community, and I'm particularly interested in um, the experience of part-time doctoral learners. So, EdD students are part of that group. I'm in, also interested in part-time PhD uh, researchers. And um, the the reading that I've been doing had made me very interested very interested in this issue of peripherality. Um, we'll look at peripheral to what in a minute. But um, but that's. That's something that I had a go at trying to address in a small way and that's what I want to tell you about this afternoon. Okay, so (coughs) in terms of the wider backdrop, um, the literature, particularly on part-time PhD students, suggests that um, they can feel on the outside, on the fringes or the edges of research cultures and academic communities. Um, and we, we know the reasons why that might be the case. It's because a lot of part-time doctoral students will be remote, um, physically remote from the university and the campuses where their faculty are based. And there's also mentioned in the literature of um, faculty, so staff, um, being well access to staff and faculty being restricted to particular working hours um, which a lot of our um, students might not be able to get access to easily so for me it raised the question of whether there is an issue of equity in doctoral education and that's something that's close to my other research interests and something that I wanted to just check out in my own program to see Um, what was happening and also whether there was anything I could be doing practical about it. So, I guess for the rest of this presentation, my question is, to what extent are these issues relevant for EDD students rather than part-time doctoral students more generally? So, who are my students? I'm hoping they're much like other people's here. Um, They're all full-time professionals in... Various sectors of education, um, and what that means is the well, I would say all, but the, the majority of our EdD students are full participants in their professional communities. They're very confident um, about their identities as professionals and how they learn as professionals. They're also many of them are parents or carers, and for some both. <laughs> um, and they juggle multiple roles and responsibilities so I'm always aware that these are incredibly busy people with competing pressures on them and the, what the literature suggests is this, um, this juggling of identities can create a fractured a D student or researcher uh, research student identity um, and what I've noticed in my own students is this almost psychological strain of shifting from one mindset or one identity to another and back again it is quite profound particularly in the early days so what what was I noticing then? Um, so I stand here today as um, a course director of an ED that I've been leading for. This is my sixth year now. Um, I'm waiting for the Katie Vigers reform. <laughs> so I've taken I've taken a program through only one revalidation so far. Um, so I coordinate and lead the program, but I also I'm su- currently supervising fifteen ED students <coughs> and three PhD students. So it very much is my very much my world at the moment which I love but it so I'm very close to it and what I've been what I've been noticing about the EDD groups and individuals that I work with is that um, in terms of community or levels of community we, we seem to be very we're doing something that means that within their cohorts they are developing very strong bonding social capital so these discrete cohorts of EDD students And what I think is not or hasn't been happening so easily is creating bridging, uh, sorry, yeah, bridging social capital um, between cohorts within Staffordshire University. And also then we're not very good at developing linking social capital, which is the connections with maybe other ED students at other universities or other (coughs) doctoral students or other academics, researchers, professors, internationally. And this was something I i don't necessarily at this point think that's a bad thing, but it's a thing. And so I wanted to know a little bit more about that, and also whether there would be any value in trying to disrupt that somewhat. Um, so, some questions I was asking myself was... Um, Did I think that increasing participation within uh, research cultures, research communities of practice was an important, you know, should that be an integral part of the doctoral learning process? My answer to that was yes, but I guess that might not be the same for everyone. Um, And then if I think that's a yes, then do I think that my EDD students lacked access to such opportunities? And when I thought about that carefully, if I worked through all the different students on the EDD, it was definitely some yes and some no, and for me that was a problem that I needed to think more about. Um, because I suspected that some of, some of our students might have been um, less advantaged in terms of access to, uh, or effective access to, research communities. Um, and, yeah, and then I was thinking about, right, okay, so if that's the case, how do I identify these students and how do I go on to support them? So, I was interested in having a go, setting up an initiative that might help some of our, or all of our EDD students, achieve legitimate peripheral participation in research communities as an EDD student. And I put forward a project proposal for you know a small amount of money to run a research-informed teaching project that was going to look at Um, Could the use of social media, a sort of scaffolded, structured approach to using social media, help our ED students move from a position of academic peripherality? Um, And that's what I'm going to tell you about. So um, for the project, what I did was I embedded... um, We we focused specifically on the use of Twitter uh, as the um, social media platform. And we, I say we, I embedded Twitter training into the EDD induction for a brand new cohort. This was two years ago. Um, So they got very hands-on training and resources. And then I also produced an EDD guide for the uh, programme team and the supervisors who were involved. And also for the EDD students who were already on programme and been through previous inductions where we hadn't tried this. And then I did an evaluation, which I had to for the uh, project. So what that project created, um, so what you've got, the example, this picture here is um, one of our weekend writing retreats that we run once a year. So you've actually got a mix of our EDD students here, not just one cohort. Um, And as well as people just meeting as a one-off face-to-face, because of the Twitter intervention, um people also then have the Twitter handles that belong to these individuals, and what we what we started was a way for people to be in informal, regular almost immediate contact um, outside of class time um, and then what I did was ask ask the students, how was that for you and um is this something you're going to continue doing? Um, the, the other thing I wanted to mention was, so for a lot of these my students, um, they hadn't been using uh, social media or Twitter before. So the training was really important. And in order to get people using it quite quickly, we did sort of what I would call mini Twitter assignments. So we had things like tweet your study place. So we'd be asking people to take a picture of where they do their EDD study. So whether they've got a special desk in, in a special room or whether it's on the kitchen table. So kind of making making visible what it's actually like to be a part-time doctoral student. Um, we also got them to do a thing which they really were resistant to at the beginning, which was tweet an article every day that you've read and tweet a picture of you reading that article. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, nothing like a bit of competition to uh, motivate people. But that was, um, you know, not everybody took part, but a lot of people did. And I guess where I'm moving to in the presentation is, it's, for me, I'm now not just thinking about the benefits that some people experience. I'm thinking about those people that didn't take part, who maybe now are further disadvantaged. You know, so... In a way, I've created a bit of a dilemma for myself, and I'm still thinking that I'm still thinking that through. But um, it's not going to stop me. So, what I did was um, I did an. In, I'm a qualitative researcher normally, um, but I wanted quick access to people, so I developed an online questionnaire. But it was quite long, 32 questions, the majority open, so it's very textual. I got a lot of textual data. So all of my edd students completed that questionnaire no matter whether they've used twitter they'd set an account and done nothing else or they've been using it regularly i've got data from all of them then what i also chose to do was share that online survey with um, the public to say any other people out there doing part-time doctoral study or edds who are using twitter i'd like to know what you know uh, what you think um so we so as well as having 26 um questionnaires from my own we also got um, oh I've I break that down so 36 from elsewhere and that was a mix of EDD students elsewhere in this country and part-time PhD students so we've got 62 routines and it was 30,000 words of data I've got data on full-time students as well but I've taken them out of this so some examples of the sorts of questions that I was asking on the questionnaire <laughs> you're laughing five minutes are <laughs> <Five minutes. laughs> you waving yeah. <laughs> sorry um so there were three groups um group a were my own students and what was quite different about group a is they were a lot of them were new doctoral students and they were also new users of twitter so you'll see when i show you some of the data or when you look at it in the packs that um their responses are quite different to those who are in groups B and C, which were other ID students who were already using Twitter, um, or the part-time PhD students. So I've just written a paper, it's about to be published next month, um, on this where there's much more detail. I just wanted to share three of the benefits that came through the responses. Um, So the first one was that there was a lot of evidence that people felt that using Twitter Help them belong to a cohort. Now the data here is only on the EdD group, so groups A and B, um, because obviously the PhD students have a slightly different setup. And what we see is that um, for group A, my students, it was their responses were very much more about belonging to that peer community, which I guess I would have expected, seeing as I've trained them. Group B was quite interesting because they talk more about the relation, the informal relationships with tutors and supervisors. And I th- I'm still working it out. But I think that might be there further along the line in terms of legitimate peripheral participation in a wider sense. Um, so that's something I want to think more about. But basically, the importance of relationships comes through strongly. So that slide was about within the university. This slide is about joining the wider community. So a lot of people were giving, um, you know, <coughs> their thoughts on how they. It made them feel that like they were part of a bigger, a bigger group, not just the one tiny cohort, but a group, a world of EdD students. Um, and this one's quite fascinating here. This I only used that little clip, but Twitter as an associate. <laughs> supervisor um, and they went on to talk about how they weren't having a good time with their own supervisory team but they'd accessed all this support from other academics and students outside and then finally this issue of keeping motivated and you know so the benefits of creating these uh, connections these webs of connections uh, provide support and motivation that goes beyond what might be accessible just in the weekend classes or, or whatever um, so that there, there was a lot there to make me think this I do as a professional working in Sarah I do need to do more work I didn't want you to think it was all is that there were people who were resistant so there were five students of mine who said we went to the training we never used it again um, and there's a range of reasons for that which I'm still working on this because I don't think that means they will never but I think it, there's something around how we scaffold and talk about, not about Twitter, but about how do you engage in these wider communities? How do you find them? Um, and and how do you learn to be part of them? Uh, so the, there was something on there about, should supervisors be on Twitter? I'll let you read that in your own time. Well, it basically broke down into, my students thought, yes, they should, and everybody else's thought, no, they shouldn't. So... <laughs> you know. um, but what I did pick up across these 62 um, responses was that people were experiencing peripherality from mainstream research cultures, which may, you know, we've talked a lot about that in the other presentations, about is that is that necessarily a bad thing? Should this be more about professional practice as well? But what I did see was how, you know, that 50 of those 62 were using Twitter particularly to... Um, mitigate against that peripherality and to actually move them forward in a constructive productive way and that's made me want to um, review and research this more so my final slide is that for me I've got a horrible reputation in my institution of being the one who always goes on about Twitter and, and actually for me it's not about Twitter at all it's about um, how are we talking to and working with our colleagues as well as our students about uh, approaches to network communities network scholarship and and specifically talking to them about if you believe this about the role of legitimate peripheral participation in terms of professional um, and academic learning um, and what I'm trying to do at them or what I've done is started to embed some of this in our doctoral inductions and our supervisor training so it's kind of a watch this space but I'm, I'm hoping that this presentation, Follows on nicely from Nick and Julie, but also is that a nice warm pact for uh, mm-hmm. Phil and Jones? So I've given you some further, oh they're not there, but there's some further reading as well that supports this. Um, that's me done.